You can always tell speakers who have never had sound booth training because they'll always go, good morning, and like nothing comes out. And then they just stare back at the sound booth. And the sound guy is back there going. And then like the speaker always goes. It's like there's a little green light. So I actually knew that because I was the one who muted it. So did anybody else hear Uncle Paul speaking earlier? Did you really like come out over the speakers when you did that? Yeah, he went to check the podcast recording and didn't mute the channel. And so that wasn't the voice of God. That was the voice of Uncle Paul. It's okay. Uh, I've had an interesting morning this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I have. Uh, I had an interesting evening yesterday. Went to <clears throat> went to jump on the jet ski and take it back to the uh, to the boat ramp, and got down there. And Miss Cynthia's little boy, uh, Zabu. Okay, cute little kid. He wanted to ride the jet ski. Okay, I'll send you if it's okay with you. I'll take him out. So he climbs on the jet ski behind me and buries his head in my back. I'm like, do you want to sit up front? No. Okay. So I go to start it, and the gas light is flashing at me. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. So I tried to start it, tried to start it, tried to start it. Finally got it started. Took off with him. He's so small, I forgot he was behind me, and I just took off, like I would normally do. And then I felt him tighten up behind me, and I realized I was going a little fast for him. And then I looked down, and that light was flashing faster at me, and I panicked, so I turned around, and I brought him back. Well, right before I got on the jet ski with him, I was pulling the jet ski off the rocks, and I was down in the water, and my foot was on a rock. And my foot slid under another rock and bent my toenail straight back. And I heard that that happened to somebody else. So I feel your pain. Um, And I just reached down in there and just like popped it back in place and took off riding. And I came back and dropped Boo off. And I looked down and it was not a fun experience to look down. And so the light's flashing. My toe is throbbing. I'm, you know, trying to get this little kid off the jet ski and turn around and head back towards the boat ramp and get about halfway there, and this is what I experienced. And then just silence, and the jet ski is just floating. I was like, oh, this is not good. So Mary is on the jet ski behind me. She goes, what just happened? We just ran out of gas. We're just floating out there. She goes, now what? I said, I've got a paddle. <laughs> Before I get to say anything else, she goes, well, I hope you're strong because you're going to be the one paddling. <laughs> and I went, I don't want to paddle. She said, I ain't paddling. <laughs> I said, I got a rope we can tow in. She goes, I ain't swimming in either. And I went, fine. So I reached up and I turned it over onto the reserve tank, started it up and drove on in. So I at least had an extra gallon on there that I could get back. So, uh like I said, it was an interesting evening yesterday, and uh, it kind of carried over into my morning this morning. I was driving in here this morning, and my mind just went completely blank. 
I was like, hey, I'm going to use the drive-in today to, you know, kind of focus and, and concentrate and, you know, kind of pray about what I was going to speak to you guys about this morning. And I started, like, going back through the recesses of my mind to get, you know, to my lesson this morning, and I couldn't find anything. Like, my mind was just a complete blank. I was like, okay, turn off the radio, put the phone up. Did that for about 10 minutes and nothing. And I went, okay. We we're going to jump start the old juices, and I went and turned on my phone, went to Twitter, because there's nothing more mindless than Twitter sometimes, and scrolling down through there and saw a quote that I liked, and I went, oh, that's cool, so I screen capped it and thought, well, that's not helping me out any, so I threw my phone over there, and I'm like driving, still nothing. I'm like, okay, this is driving me crazy, because you know how I am with silence. I hate silence, so I just reach up and I just turn the radio on. Didn't even know what the station it was on. And the song that pops up, the song I've heard a couple of times before, and it's, it starts going, and it's, it's called Fighter. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I'm just kind of sitting there, just kind of like bobbing my head and driving. I'm like, wait a minute. And then I started thinking, and I picked up my phone, and I looked at that quote that I read this morning, the song Fighter, and it was like everything just started flowing, and it was like, of course, that's what I could talk to him about. So it was really cool this morning. So you guys are getting this like fresh off, fresh off the griddle, and uh, I hope you guys are ready for this. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges. We were in there the other night, seventh book, not the seventh chapter. We are going to be in Judges chapter number three. I cheated. I still had my ribbon in Judges chapter seven. In case you all haven't figured out, I like different things. Like My music taste is different from other people. I was glad to hear Tony say yesterday that he likes Thousand Foot Crutch. Uh, just for you tonight, I'm going to mix in a little Thousand Foot Crutch into the uh, pre-service mix, so get here early, and we'll be jamming out to that. Uh, I like random stuff like that. One of my favorite bands is Family Force 5. I don't know if you've ever listened to Family Force 5. Uh, the only thing I ever knew about them was the cheerleading song. And it's not that's not the title of it. They've just got cheerleaders in, in the song. And this guy that I knew, he's like, I love the cheerleading song. And we were going to go see, it was Toby Mac, Thousand Foot Crutch, Building 429, and Family Force 5. And we were going over to South Carolina to watch them in concert. I'd seen Building 429, New Thousand Foot Crutch, didn't really know Family Force 5, and they are the weirdest group of guys I've ever seen in my life. And the lead singer comes out and plays a guitar for the first song, and then he walks off stage, and when he comes back out, he's got Hulk hands, and they're spray-painted gold, like those big Hulk foam hands, and there's a microphone shoved into this one, and he spends the rest of the concert wearing those Hulk hands. And throughout that whole concert, I'm like, this is a band that I want to listen to. And uh, so, like I said, I just have this weird, like, taste. Because I'll listen to them, and then I'll put on VeggieTales. And there won't be a kid in sight. And I'm, like, rocking out the VeggieTales. You know, it's like, some veggies went to CCC. You know, I mean, it's just like, that's just the way that, that, that I am sometimes. I'm just, like, really, you know, scattered and, and different. So I like it when I run across stories like this in the Bible. From like real people. 
So now, remember, I told you, the song that I heard this morning was like talking about fighter, you know, like kind of rising above the odds and, 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 you know, kind of punching the world in the face kind of a thing. Here's the quote that I liked this morning. Took a, took a screen cap of it, and I thought, ah, I might use that one sometime, not knowing that it was going to be this morning. There we are playing Ninja last night, just in case. Here it is. It's from Dwight Eisenhower. He used to be, or he was a president. It says, what counts is not necessarily the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. I always, I, I've always heard that and always liked it. And then to see it this morning and then to hear that and then, like for God to kind of you know push me towards towards this passage, you know the normal the normal story that you would hear with something like this is size doesn't matter. Uh, where did he go? Tall, blonde, curly headed. He was just back there talking to you, Uncle Paul. What's his name? Jess. 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 Is it Jess? Okay, he's uh, he's not in here. I think he he left for a little bit. Um. He had on that Yoda shirt yesterday, and it said, size matters not. And I kind of laughed, and it just hit me that that, that might have been the start of this whole thing. But the, the normal, the normal, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog story that you would hear is David and Goliath. You know, because you've got, like, wee little David, and you've got, like, this huge giant, and, like, they're going to be fighting, you know. And that's, that's kind of the normal story that you hear. Well, we're not going to do that one. We're going to do this one. And this one's a little twisted. It's a little weird. But it's me. So it kind of, it kind of goes like right along with it. So Judges, chapter number 3, beginning in verse number, we'll get to that. Most of the time in the book of Judges, what you find, remember we talked about Gideon and him uh, being a slave and all of Israel being a slave to the Midianites. Well, a few chapters earlier where we are right now, the Israelites are slaves. They're in bondage to a totally different group called the Moabites. They're from Moab. So, you know, there's like this pattern, like the children of Israel are in bondage and God sends a judge, kind of like a, it's a precursor to a prophet. And he would send these judges to go, okay, Israel, here's your problem. Here's your issue. Here's why you're in bondage. And then they would they would turn from their from their wicked ways and they would turn back to Christ and then he would free them from bondage and then they would go right back into the same pattern and they'd go right back into slavery because that's what remember we talked about that uh last night you know because he binds us but he heals us he tears us down but he builds us up so there were times like where they would just kind of like elevate themselves like he said to get him you know they're going to they're going to say that they're the ones who did it and he would bring them to a point where where he could talk to them you see, a lot of times when, when God breaks us down, it's because he wants us to listen. Because, you know, when everything's going great, you're not really paying that much attention to what God is saying. But then it's like when everything's at its worst, you'll listen to a fly give you advice if it would talk to you. You know, I mean, you, you would listen to anybody because you're just at that point where you're like, I have no idea what to do. And that's kind of what, what, what God was doing to the children of Israel all throughout the book of Judges. He would get them to a point where they would listen to him. So they're enslaved to the, to the, 
to the Moabites. And Judges chapter 3, verse number 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's probably one of the saddest sentences. And it's not just right there. Just about every chapter in the book of Judges starts out that same way. And the children of Israel once again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like, if you ever want to get a good laugh out of somebody, I know this is going to sound like a really funny statement after that. That word again is one of the greatest words in the English language. Because you can go, hey, the cow's stuck in the gate. And somebody's like, okay. And then if you throw in that word again, it means they've done it before. You know, my favorite is my brother-in-law's scared again. Because my brother-in-law's a, a chicken. It's, it's great. I went and saw a scary movie one time with him. And I, I, it's sad I had to say these words to him. I said, if you grab a hold of me and scream in the middle of this movie, I will walk out. And then my brother-in-law looks at me and he goes, please don't leave me. And I said, then don't grab me. So, but it's, you know, that word again, when, when used properly... Is, is absolutely hilarious. Uncle Paul stuck to the flagpole again. <laughs> you know, because that just kind of goes, wait a minute, this has happened before. You would think that they would learn not to get in that situation again. Uncle Paul, don't lick cold flagpoles. Um, you know, it's just like that word again. Like I said, it's, it's, it just kind of jumped out at, at you. I haven't even made it through one sentence of the verse. Let's go. Uh, and the, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. I hope it doesn't take you all 18 years to get to the point where you'll listen to God. Because that can be some of the lowest, hardest times of your life. Verse 15. Then, this is after 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, or Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, we learned a lot about Ehud. Right there in that in that little segment. Anybody else catch it? Like you got his entire biography right there in one sentence. Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a left-handed man. Nobody else pick up on this? Okay, here's what you got to know. In in all of the nation of Israel, there were twelve tribes. The tribe of Benjamin was the warring tribe. They were the army tribe. They were born and bred to fight. And one way that they fought, because remember they don't have machine guns and all this technology. They have swords, spears, clubs, rocks, you know. They, that's, that's what they have. They were taught to be ambidextrous. They were able to use both hands. Just for lack of a better, a better analogy, so if one got chopped off, they could still defend themselves and fight with the other one. 
But the Bible tells us that Ehud was only able to use his left hand. It doesn't tell us why. All it says was he was a Benjamite, but he was left-handed. So automatically, he's kind of like Gideon. He's looked at as being totally different and useless. Because what good is a soldier that can't use both arms or both hands? So he's kind of like this outcast. And that's who God raises up. But remember, he's, he's still a little different. But this is what I love about God, because God knows each one of you. God knows your strengths. God knows your weaknesses. God knows your fears. God knows all of that. And, and, and I'm going to keep going back to what Tony said, because Tony just echoes like a lot of the stuff that's gone on in my life. There's a lot of those times where you go, God, I just honestly cannot do this. He says, I know you can't, but I can. Remember, I told you he uses, he uses stutterers. He uses little people. He uses big people. He uses left-handed people. How many of you all are left-handed? <laughs> she's, like, she's like, yes. Are you a cheerleader? Okay. Sorry. Can you, it's kind of sad you can tell because you were just like instantly like, boom. Okay. Um, Almost halfway expected, like, spirit fingers to hit the ceiling. Like, yes! Okay. Um, sorry. Uh, there's always a cheerleader in the crowd. Um, my mom is left-handed. I did not know my mom was left-handed until I was in the sixth grade. Never paid attention. And I walk up to her one morning, and I'm like, um, I need you to sign this permission slip. And I go to hand her the pen. And she grabs it with her left hand, and I went, what are you doing? She goes, I want to sign your permission slip. Why are you grabbing the pen with your left hand? And she goes, because I'm left-handed. Since when? <laughs> she goes, since I learned to write. Where have I been? I don't know. We live in the same house. Okay. Never knew. I was almost 13 years old when I found out my mom was left-handed. It was a life-changing experience for me. Suddenly, I'm like, I'm not observant. I need to be observant. And uh, sensory overload, can't focus. It's just all that kind of fun stuff. So go home and figure out what hand your mom writes with. It might come in handy one day. So the Bible tells us that, that he's left-handed. And see right there at the end of that verse, it says, and the, and the children of Israel sent tribute by way of Ehud. To Eglon. Because in those times when you were in bondage, it wasn't just, hey, you're in, you're in slavery. It meant that you financially owed them. Remember when we looked at Gideon, he was threshing wheat in the wine press just so his family would have something to eat because the Midianites took everything. And it was kind of the same thing with, with Moab and the Moabites. Like they took everything. But they sent them money. They sent them gifts. They sent them like all this stuff. It was just anything that you had, they wanted a portion of it. That's just the way it worked. So the children of Israel sent him, and Ehud's like, you know what? I'm tired of this. And God says, Ehud, I'm going to use you to free the children of Israel. Verse number 16. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit or 18 inches in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. Have you guys ever seen the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner? Okay. I like that movie. 
I like I like any kind of old movies like that. Like even the Robin Hood that um, Russell Crowe did. I'm just I love historical movies like that. You know, um, a book series that I read by Stephen Lawhead completely rewrote the Robin Hood legend, and I read all of that. And I, I love I love movies and books like that. One of my favorite movies is the Disney Robin Hood. It's kind of the way I am with things. Um, I love. I told you I love movies, but this all has a point. Because in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, there's this one scene at the very end where, like, they've planned this epic uprising, this epic just rebellion in in the land. And as they're walking into this hanging that's getting ready to take place, there's this one scene that kind of goes unnoticed. But there's a guard standing at the gate. And all this one guy gets paid to say for the entire movie is no blades, no bows, leave your weapons here. No blades, no bows, leave your weapons here. And what they're doing is they're going down through there, and it's kind of like going through airport security now, just without the full body scanners. I mean, like, they're patting them down, like, looking for weapons because they know that something's about to happen. And this isn't a new concept. It's in the Bible. I love it. God did it before Hollywood. You know? Kind of an amazing thing. But here's what happens. As, as, as Robin Hood and all of his merry men, who aren't very merry at that time, um, like they're walking in, they've got all of their weapons hidden on their left side. And when you watch that movie, as, as everyone's coming in, they're patting them down. Like they're patting them down on the left side, I'm sorry. And they've got all their weapons hidden on the right side. Because remember, the majority of the world is right-handed. And if you have a sword... And you try to, like, grab it from this side, it's kind of hard to, you're like, hang on. You know, but over here, like, you can grab it, and you can pull, and you can be ready. So they're patting everybody down. But Robin Hood and all of his men get their weapons in because they've got them on their right side, and nobody thinks to look there. Now, remember, Ehud's left-handed. For him, that's where he would put a weapon. And he's able to fashion a weapon 18 inches long and carry it into the king of Moab. And he walks right in. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Verse 17. And he presented the tribute, he being Ehud, presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now check out this sentence. Because I love how the Bible puts stuff sometimes. And all of you all are starting to laugh because you've already read this. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Ehud's left-handed, Eglon's big. It's like, why, why does that have anything to do with the story? But it does. Nothing is in the Bible by accident. It's all there on purpose. There it is. Okay, sorry, I just lost my place. I lost it again. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Verse 18, and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. So he sent away everybody that came with him. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So here's what happens. Now imagine yourself sitting on the throne and you were the king. And one of your enemies, who's in, who's in bondage and slavery to you, has just brought you gifts. And they're laid out. And they start to leave. And their leader, Ehud, says, hey, guys, go on back home. I'm going to hang out for a second. So he stays back, 
And he says, King, I've got a secret. Now, if you're in a position of power and your enemy comes to you and says, Hey, um, I've got a secret that you can use, you're going to listen. So the king's like, Quiet, I've got to hear this. And Ehud goes, Well, it's a little bit more secret than that. And the king goes, How secret? And Ehud goes, Well, I can only tell you. And this king does one of the dumbest things in the history of the world. He goes, hey, guards, just step outside. My protection, leave me. I don't need you. Look at him. You've patted him down. He doesn't have a weapon. What's he going to do? Okay. So the guards go outside. And he, Hud, walks them to the door. And he closes the door behind them. And he locks it. And you know what the king does? He's like sitting up on the throne going, what's your secret? Okay, tell me your secret. What's your secret? And he goes, well, I still can't tell you because this place is really big. And it'll echo and they may still be able to hear it. And the king's like, well, come closer. So Ehud comes up closer. And the king's like, tell me your secret. Tell me your secret. Tell me your secret. And Ehud like, gets just a little bit closer and he goes, I still need to be closer. And the king's like, okay, fine. Like, come up and tell me. Come up and tell me. But once again, like I said, the Bible kind of does some pretty cool things before Hollywood does. There's another movie. I know I watch a lot of movies. And it's a Japanese movie, or it's a Chinese movie. And it's about, like, the Chinese dynasty. And there's this emperor that has tried to conquer all of the land. But he's had assassination attempts on his life. And so no one is able to come within so many paces or so many feet of the emperor because he fears for his life. And this whole movie is a guy that is trying to assassinate the emperor to free China. But the, but the emperor had kind of done something unique. And any time an assassin... A well-known assassin was killed. People were allowed to come just a few more paces closer. And just a few more paces closer. So the whole movie is this assassin assassinating other assassins. Just so he can get close enough. And he knows that if I can get within this many paces of the emperor, I can kill him. And I can free all of China. And he, he like I said, the whole movie... He's telling the story of how he killed these other assassins. And he gets within that range. And, he, and he, he's standing there. And like the tension is building and the tension is building. And all of a sudden the emperor realizes that the whole story has been made up. That these other assassins gave up their weapons so that this guy could get close enough to kill the emperor. And so there he stands, just feet away from his certain death. And I'm not going to tell you how that movie ends. Because it's not important. Tony, I'll tell you. Oh, I've showed that clip before, like where he walks out and the whole army. And Have I showed that here? Great movie. So you know the one I'm talking about. It's a really good movie. Shh, not important. I told you what's important was the build-up. 
So here we have Ehud, and it's kind of the same thing. He has gotten close enough, and he's almost there. And he goes, honestly, king, I need to whisper it in your ear to ensure that you're the only one that hears it. And Egon goes, okay. And he goes to stand up, and as he starts to walk, Ehud pulls out the sword and kills the king. And the Bible goes into pretty graphic detail. Sorry. It says that, that he stabs him, and that Egon, being the size man that he is, it closes around it. And like the sword is stuck in him. It's 18 inches. 18 inches. You can't see the sword. And Ehud stands there and the king falls over and Ehud jumps out the window, climbs down, and takes off running back home. You see, God took somebody that everybody else looked at and said, they're not worth anything. Like he's not like everybody else. He's not like everybody else. Look how small that dog is. There's no fight in that dog. Remember, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. You see, Ehud was willing to take what most people would have seen as a hindrance, as a handicap, as an obstacle, and he let God use it. He let God use it. I told you, I get nervous being up in front of crowds. I'm more comfortable in the sound booth, behind the scenes. God uses that nervousness. And when I'm standing up here, I'm as calm as I can be. But when I go back to that sound booth, my hands start shaking. I start, like, sweating. Like, it's like everything just builds up and then just, bleh, there it goes. Sometimes you all get releases of that energy. It's kind of fun. But here we go. Ehud takes off, and he takes off running, and he's, he's saved the day. He's freed Israel because he's killed the king. And all of Israel starts rejoicing. And while there's a party going on over in, like, Israel's little, little segment of the world, there's still two guards standing outside the, outside the door. <laughs> They're just hanging out. They're just kind of standing there. I thought I heard my phone. Come here, I want you to help me. I want you to help me. Come on. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand right there on that spot. Okay? And when I ask you a question, just shake your head. Okay? Okay. You trust me? Are you sure? Because yes. I can ask you anything and you have to shake your head. Are you sure? Okay. Positive. Okay. Are you worried? Were you sleeping? Okay. You, you didn't do what I said. You had to say yes. Were you sleeping? Okay. <laughs> he, he, was, he was shaking his head. Okay. That's okay. I'm just messing with you. Okay. There's a big door right here behind us, a big wooden door, and on the other side of it is a lock. And then beyond that is a dead king that we don't know he's dead yet. Okay? Just setting the scene for you. So use that, you know. Okay, here we go. So these two guards are standing outside the door. 
You had lunch yet? I wonder if they're having anything good. Do you talk much? Kind of. How long have you been on the job? Like 30 seconds? Awesome. <laughs> we've, uh, we've been standing out here a little while. Did they tell you what we were supposed to be doing? They told me. Like, we're, we're supposed to be protecting that king that's in there. But we're not in there. Do you think he's okay? I haven't heard anything. I think we're okay. So they're just kind of standing there chilling. Like an hour goes by. <laughs> think we should check on him. You do realize if something happens to him, we die. I think we should check on him. So, like, they go over and, like, they check on the door, and it's locked. And instead of, like, knocking and trying to get into the door, they're like, he's busy. So they just kind of stand there. And then, like, nobody comes in, nobody comes out. They go to check the door again. It's still locked. Do you want to go sit down? I didn't know you're still up here. I was just asking. Thank you very much for your help. Give him a hand. So here it is. Verse number 24. When he had, had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the door of the roof chamber was locked, they thought, and I really, I really apologize for this. I told you it's all in the Bible. It says, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. The King James says, surely he covers his feet in the summer chamber. At Camp Tapawingo, we would say he's in the bathroom. <laughs> That's what the guards think. They go and they check the door and it's locked. <laughs> he's in there with another guy. And they're talking and, and sharing war secrets. And they go... Maybe he's using the bathroom. <laughs> we won't disturb him. So they just hang out. And then, they, like I said, it just gets to the point where they get embarrassed that they're still outside and they're not doing their job. And somehow they manage to get in. And when they open up the door, there's no Ehud. There's the king. He's dead. And Israel's rejoicing because they've been saved. They've been rescued by this nobody by this worthless person, this outcast. You know, some of you all may know somebody like that. Some of you all may know somebody that everybody else looks at them and goes, they're not worth anything. They're not worth anything. Like, they can't do anything. And I don't mean this as like a downer, but you may be that person. I was. I got it from my own family. My family used to sing in church, and I was jealous because I wanted to sing. I love to sing. I love music. I love music more than I love movies. And I wanted to sing. And my mom, my loving mother, who I would do anything for, and I'm not saying anything bad against her, 
she told me that I sing in the key of H. And for those of you that know anything about music, there is no key of H. It's like da 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 da. She said that's how I sing. So you know what I got to do? I got to run sound for them. I think that's where my love of technology and being in the background came from. I was nine when she told me that. When I was 18, my youth pastor's wife was standing beside of me, and she went, hey, we're going to start a quartet in the youth group, and I think it would be really cool if you sang with them. I'm like, I don't sing. I run the sound. She goes, have you heard yourself sing? La, la. <laughs> yeah. She goes, we're practicing tomorrow night. We want you to come. And for the next two years, I sang in a quartet. For a year after that in college, I sang with an eight-voice ensemble and traveled all over the United States singing. But it's amazing what one person can say that will change you. So a lot of this training that we're talking about, a lot of it's not just about you. A lot of it is about how you treat somebody else. You see, when I, when I had the first through sixth graders, there were three basic truths that we taught, all of them. Like every lesson we did had one of those truths in it. And I was actually wearing the T-shirt, I think Monday. It was that blue one with all, all the crazy writing on it. And the very first one is, I need to make the wise choice. That's very difficult to do sometimes. The first one is, I need to make the wise choice. The second one is, I should treat others the way I want to be treated. Kind of the golden rule. And then I love the last one. It was, I can trust God no matter what. But it's that second one that's the difficult one. Treating somebody the way that you want to be treated. Because sometimes when there's not a big crowd around, you've got your arm around that person that nobody else wants to have anything to do with, but when the peop- you know, when all the popular people come around, suddenly they're not your friend anymore. How would you feel if that was you that was on the receiving end of that? I mean, imagine if all of Ehud's life, all he heard was you're worthless, you're not worth anything, you can't do anything, you'll never amount to anything. What do you think you're going to do? Oh my goodness, you think God wants you to be a judge? Do you realize you can't use your right hand? You're only left-handed. How are you going to do anything for God? You can't do absolutely anything for God. And then one day Ehud comes walking in and goes, Hey guys, guess what? I just killed the king. We're free. Yeah, okay, whatever. God can use anybody. At any time. And the one thing that you think may be a hindrance and may be holding you back and God can never use this may be the one thing that God brings to the forefront and you impact thousands. God, I can't speak in front of people. This is my first camp of the summer. I've got two more scheduled. God, I can't, I can't do that. Yes, you can. God, I can't. Yes, you can. God, I won't. Yes, you will. God, I won't ever own a Corvette. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Uncle Paul, I looked. 
I haven't found a yellow one yet, but I will find you a yellow Corvette. Guys, God can use you any shape, any size, any color, any creed, any hairstyle. Dude, digging it, by the way. What was, I don't mean to point you out, but this is the way my brain is. The first night we had that Dr. Funky guy up there, like, doing the beatboxing. I started playing it, and one of the, one of the counselors was back here with me, and he goes, Is that our camper? <laughs> no. No, it's not. So... Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. So, um, but God can use you for anything. Whatever it is, he'll use it. Here's all he asks of you, that you just freely give it to him for him to use. God, I can't get up in front of people and talk. I stutter. Well, let me be the one who speaks through you. I knew a lady that had Tourette's. I mean, violent Tourette's. Like when she's standing up there, like her head, I was afraid it was going to snap off of her body. And I mean, like her arms shook. She couldn't talk because, like, the microphone was right there, and she couldn't, she couldn't, she couldn't talk into the microphone because her head was constantly jerking and her body was flailing. But then there would always come a point in her testimony, and she would say, I can't say it, but let me sing it. And as soon as she said that, they would hit play back in the sound booth, and this music would start to play, and she would begin to sing. And in those three and a half to five minutes that she was singing, she never twitched one time. And she used to say this. She said, I allow God to use my Tourette's to get in to speak to people. And for a time, he gives me rest from it. So that way I can still proclaim him through music. And she had the most beautiful voice I'd ever heard. And like I said, for those three and a half minutes, she never twitched. She never struggled. And she sang. And the minute that the song stopped and she began to speak again, it was like it came back on. But she said, I'm letting God use my disability to reach others. Even when you think that God can't use you, he can. It's just, are you willing to let him? Are you willing to completely give over everything to him and let him use you? Father, we love you. Father, we thank you so very much that you choose to use us. Father, we're, we're, we're frail, we're, we're broken. But Father, you use us. You mold us, you shape us, you reform us. Father, you build us into something that you can use, something that you want to use. Father, all that you ask is for a willing heart to give our lives over. Father, sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to do is to give up everything because we, we, we become so attached to things that we hold on to things and we don't realize that that's what's breaking us, that's what's holding us back. Father, no more excuses. No more ifs, no more buts, no more maybes. 
Father, no excuses. Just complete surrender to you. That's what I want. Father, I just want to pray for that person that's here today. Like how they're holding on to something and they're like, they're like, but I don't know if, I don't know if, but I don't want to. God, just work in their hearts. Break, break those chains. Break those, those ties that are binding them down. And Father, give them the strength to step out and say, here it is. As weak and frail as it is, God, here is my life. Use it. Build me up. Tear me down. Build me up. Tear me down. Strengthen me. Build me up. And use me. God, in spite of the weaknesses that the world sees, use that for your glory. May you be honored and glorified in everything that we do today. And we just give this, this time and ourselves to you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.